Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Uh, it's a Canucks game day, so we're still going to have lots to get to. Tampa Bay Lightning are in town. We'll have uh, pregame starting up at 6 o'clock, also on uh, Sportsnet Pacific, following the conclusion of the Pittsburgh Penguins and Arizona Coyotes. So join us for the pregame. But uh, going to look ahead to Thursday a little bit, Sat, as uh, Ring of Honor week for Roberto Luongo is drawing nearer and nearer. And... Uh, you start to think about just uh, what an incredible goaltender he was already in the Hall of Fame and now going up into the Ring of Honor for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a really great night. Like, I'm really looking forward to being there and yeah. and watching that happen. I think uh, Luongo has been, he's been one of the most polarizing athletes in Vancouver, obviously. But in terms of his overall ability and how good he was, yeah, like the Canucks had one of the best players at his position through his prime. You know, and how often do you get to have that? We've seen it a few times, right? We saw it with Burray, of course. We saw it with the Sedins, Trevor Linden, to a lesser degree, obviously, in terms of superstar status, but obviously a player that is very near and dear to people's hearts here. And then you look at where they're at with Pedersen and Hughes now and how exciting that is, for instance. But Luongo was something this team has never had, which was a franchise Hall of Fame caliber netminder. Yeah, he was a... Vesna finalist on a couple of occasions as a Vancouver Canuck, including his first season as a Canuck when he burst onto the scene. And yeah, he was pretty good that year uh, for Vancouver in 06, 07. So a lot to remember by, and uh, maybe no one better than our next guest. Do you remember him as an ex Canucks goaltender? And of course, now is a analyst on the NHL network. It is Corey Schneider. Thanks for this, Corey. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing? Uh, we're we're doing pretty well. How are you uh, how are you enjoying the uh, NHL analyst life? <laughs> it's been fun. It's uh, been enough to sort of keep me involved and keep me uh, up in the knowledge of what's going on in the game. Because with all the turnover and all the young guys, if you don't pay attention for a little while, you lose track of who's where and all that. So it's been nice to, uh, like I said, just stay involved, keep the mind thinking hockey, but not being uh, overly busy while I spend a little more time at home with the family. I feel like uh, goalies make for great analysts. Like they they just see the game in such a different way than than basically everybody else. And and you guys can actually like break down goaltenders like nobody else can. <laughs> I was joking on the air the other day that being a goalie feels like you have like a PhD in something where everyone just takes your word as like gospel and the truth because a lot of people don't know <laughs> the ins and outs of goaltending. So I could say whatever I want and people are like, yeah, yeah, it sounds good. We'll defer to the goalie. Um, yeah, that's part of it. But like you said, part of it is I think just over time you you, you see everything in front of you, like you said. So. You watch plays develop. You know what everyone's supposed to be doing on the ice and where they're supposed to be in order to do your job. So I think that kind of processing and reading and reacting lends to, uh, you know, analyzing and breaking the game down. So obviously there's things I don't know uh, from a player standpoint, but just in terms of the overall structure and how the game should look, uh, you get a pretty good idea of it when you're in net. Uh, what's been your takeaway watching some of the Canucks so far this season? Uh, it's been fun. It's been fun to see them playing well and, and having everyone into it. The Obviously the individual performances from, Guys like Quinn and, uh, you know, Miller and Pedersen and Thatcher Demko, um, Brock Besser. It's been a lot of great stories out there. So, you know, hopefully they can sustain it and keep it up. But they've built themselves up a nice cushion. And I think just for me, you know, since since I left almost 10 years ago, 10 years ago now, it's, they've kind of been trying to figure out where they are and who they are as a team. So I think this year it's, it's fun to see them be back in the picture and, um, you know, playing good hockey again. 
You know, we've seen both of their goaltenders have uh, successes here, both Thatcher Demko and, and Casey DeSmith. And, you know, not, not to uh, diminish their talents, we know they're, they're both very good, but I think a large part of that has to do with uh, how, how much better they've been in front of their goaltenders. Uh, it, you know, even when you talk to Thatcher about it, it's, uh, he sees a lot more predictability in front of him when he's, when he's on the ice. How, how important is that for the goaltender? It's massive, and I talk about that quite a bit, that, you know, goaltending is a reactive position. You can't be proactive and go make something happen. You have to wait for it to come to you, and you're at the mercy of, like you said, what happens in front of you. So if uh, you don't know where your teammates are going to be, you can't trust that they're going to take a certain guy away or take a certain pass away, then it makes your life a lot harder because now you're trying to do two things at once, and that's when you get caught leaning or guessing or, you know, holes open up because you're trying to cheat or maybe get somewhere before the play even happens. So I think coming to the rink every night and just knowing that your team's going to be pretty structured or pretty solid defensively, it uh, gives a goalie a lot of peace of mind and builds confidence. I think they just feed off of one another. So I can totally understand what uh, Thatcher's saying when it comes to that. And I think it's made a big difference for him just having more predictability and comfortability with everybody in front of him. You mentioned, you know, it's been 10 years since you were moved, uh, obviously, from Vancouver. And, it, you know, goaltending has, hasn't been an issue in Vancouver for a very long time. Um, you know, before this, Markstrom was playing well. Ryan Miller came in and did a pretty decent job. And obviously, then it was you and Luongo. And, and on Thursday, uh, Luongo was going into the Ring of Honor here at Rogers Arena. And you were his teammates for a long time. I, I know we, we've kind of gone through this down this road before about, you know, how great a player Luongo was and, and obviously everything he, he accomplished. But in terms of how how you and him coexisted and got the best out of each other. Uh, what do you remember about that specifically? Yeah, you know, it was, it was an interesting time for me just coming in the league as a young player and just trying to establish myself and, and figure out, you know, if I could play at that level and how good I could be. And uh, I think as a young goalie, I couldn't have asked for a better mentor than Roberto. You know, he was very comfortable in the skin. He was an elite goalie. Um, he had a lot of the traits and habits that I think I learned from him in terms of work ethic, uh, competitiveness, intensity, well, also understanding what it takes to play in Vancouver, a, you know, a big Canadian market. So I think eventually you saw the self-deprecation and levity come out in his in his personality. So I thought it was a good, you know, great example for me to learn on how to handle that kind of market, handle that kind of pressure while still pushing and, and striving to be the best you could be. So, you know, I took a lot of things away from him um, just as a goalie. And then, you know, obviously I think we grew into, uh, you know, respecting each other's games and getting to know each other better. So. Um, you know, it was, like I said, a great uh, friendship and partnership and net there. So I couldn't have asked for a better person to learn from than, than him. So uh, with us guys talking about goalie controversy, it was never really like that with you and him, hey? Hey, no, none whatsoever. Smooth sailing. Yeah, and it's funny how, how those narratives can kind of pick up. But, it, you know, you, you guys are both incredibly talented goaltenders at the time. The team is really good and you work well in tandem there's sort of a, a a relationship you have to have with each other, but it sounds to me like you, uh, you both strive to, to make each other better. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, he absolutely pushed me, uh, you know, and like I said, taught me quite a bit. Um, but I think for him, you know, he was always the guy and had to play a heavy workload and played a ton of games. So I think when uh, he and the team realized that, you know, I was a viable option that it allowed him to maybe take some time off and rest mentally and physically and, and keep him healthy for the long haul. So that way, at the end of the year, he could, you know, do his thing. So I think he came to appreciate uh, having a goalie partner that he trusted. Because, again, I remember being called up early in my career, and I wasn't quite ready yet. And I could tell the guys kind of looked at me because I wasn't Roberto, and they were used to a certain level of goaltending. So, um, you know, it was a little nerve-wracking, but it, it made me want to be better and work harder and push to, to provide that level. So that way they knew when he wasn't in net, they were still in good hands. So I think it was, a, uh, you know, worked well for us, that, that professional just pushing each other and trying to do what's best for the team and making sure that we're both providing great goaltending for no matter who is in that. 
you mentioned the, the standard, which was so high. Like, can you kind of walk us through you, not only what made Luongo so great, but how he was able to kind of hold himself to such a high standard? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it was his hyper-competitiveness. He just hated to lose, whether it's poker, fantasy football, ping pong. He used to kick my butt in ping pong all the time. Um, you know, even little games like that, he just he hated to lose. So I think, you know, I wouldn't call him a perfectionist, but close to it. You know, he knew he wasn't going to be perfect, but I think he strived for perfection. Um, so, you know, there was no wasted reps. There were no, you know, wasted shots or useless shots. I think he, he felt like he could stop every single puck in practice. So I think just that mindset and that mentality, you know, where he got it from is probably his family, his parents, something along the way. But, um, you know, it's, that's what makes the great ones the best, is the greatest, is because they have that, that in them. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty rare combination of that talent with that kind of drive and determination. I think that's when you get generational Hall of Fame type players. Was there an area of, of Roberto's game that you really appreciated, like more, more on the technical side of that us non-goalie experts wouldn't really be able to identify? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a few things. You know, he played a somewhat unique style, a little more of the, you know, blocking with the knee pads. So he'd make saves with his knee pads and take a stick off the ice. And I didn't understand how he could do that. I didn't know how he could time a shot and, you know, drop to those knees and, and get it swallowed up in his pads and not use his stick. That to me was incredible, but... Um, I think I think one of the things that I appreciated the most about him is that he was very technical. He was very you know studious and um, relied heavily on his technique. But when things broke down, he wasn't afraid to make these incredible saves that were just off scripted and uh, kind of you know um, made it up as he went along and impro- improvised. That's sort of looking for. He could improvise with the best of them. Those big windmill glove saves, you know, rolling around on his back, reaching out with the stick. So for as structured and technical he was, he definitely had that flair for the dramatic, which. You don't really see as much anymore, so I think uh, you know he was a little ahead of his time on that, or he was, you know, like I said, unique in that in that stance. But also, does that that also kind of shows the athleticism that he had, that he's able to, you know, dive the way he did and, and was able to make as many saves in desperation, almost looking like a soccer goaltender sometimes, right? Like, and I think it right. showed a pretty high level of athleticism. Yeah, which is funny because you know you wouldn't necessarily describe him as like a pure athlete. Like right. he was big and wide and a little, you know, gangly, almost bow-legged, like yeah. his flexibility. He, could, he couldn't really do a split sideways, you know. It's just the way his body was built. And then if you watch him do other things, you know, he was good at it, but he, he didn't scream like natural athlete. But like you said, on the ice, that athleticism, that intuition um, shown through where he could just, like you said, make things. He, he could think things or, you know, come up with it at the last second and make his body do it somehow. It didn't always look great. Or yeah. It wasn't always the flashiest thing, but, it, you know, he made it work somehow. And that is athleticism at that position. So I think he was an underrated athlete in that standpoint. It's kind of crazy you never won a Vesna Trophy, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it is. I mean, there was obviously some great runs of goaltending in there and some maybe better individual seasons, but I think when you look at his whole body of work, um, to be in the top echelon in the entire career is, is really impressive because you have guys who have flashes, who have one great year, you know, a stretch of a couple of good years, but it always felt like Roberto was in the conversation and in the hunt, and I think that also speaks to his consistency and longevity of just being an elite goaltender in the league. Well, and especially with how demanding that position is and how many injuries he's gone through, you've gone through injuries too, and to be able to recover from those and still play late into his career, I mean, that also, I mean, I guess that speaks to, the, to that determination he has at some point, doesn't it? Yeah, and he loved the game. He just loved hockey. He just loved, uh, you know, get out there early, morning skating. Uh, you know, I learned that from him as I always skate in the mornings. It's just what you did because even he did that even when he was playing 60, 70 games and when I got to New Jersey, they sort of tell me to take my foot off the gas and say, hey, you don't have to skate every single game day. And I was like, well, I, this is how I was taught and trained with Roberto. And it took me a while to get used to not to taking options. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, again, he played over a thousand games as a goalie, which to me is just is mind bending. So to, to have that sort of health and longevity and stick to for him, again, through everything he went through, um, it's pretty incredible. And I, I think it speaks to all those uh, traits that I've been discussing so far. 
do you have a favorite save that he made? Like for me, my favorite save was actually the one he made on Sharp in overtime in Game Seven against the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. It maybe wasn't yeah. the most spectacular, but the way he timed sure. it and, and came across, and, and especially the stakes of that moment, I think everybody was like holding their breath when when uh, Sharp was loading up for that one timer. Did you have a favorite save that he made? Yeah, I mean that was obviously probably the most timely save because that one yeah. goes in. Then we we're probably <laughs> telling a whole different story here. Right. Um, but yeah, I do I do agree with you in the sense of how simple and easy he made it look in Game Seven of overtime of that series, and it was anything but. Um, I don't know if it's a specific save, but I still remember the San Jose series in the conference finals. I want to say it was Game Five, the one we won in overtime. You know, he made fifty or sixty saves for that double overtime game, and there were fewer. I just didn't know how he even made the saves. You know, a guy, you know, reaching back on the goal line with his arm or getting a piece of it with mm-hmm. his toe or, you know, something ridiculous. That whole game, I just, I think, kind of gets lost in the, uh, in the you know, history of that season um, because without that performance, you know, we may not have won that game. And then going back to the Shark Tank for game six, you never know what could have happened. So I think his performance in game five, there are a few saves in there that I still remember just, you know, being in awe of. How tiring are those, like, multiple overtime games for a goalie? I mean, for everybody, but <laughs> for a goalie, it's got to be even more. Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes you just feel like you can go forever. It's more the mental part. You know, you just don't want to make a mental mistake. Because um, sometimes your mind starts to go before your body does. So there's some, there's some games where you feel like you could play all night. Um, but, it's, again, it's more just making sure you don't make that one little silly mistake that is going to cost you the game. So I think it's more of the battle of wills in that center, the battle of, you know, mental focus and sharpness and who's going to win that battle. And I think Roberto was really good at that. He played a lot of multiple overtime games in his career and um, played great in a lot of them. So I think, you know, that just speaks to the, the you know, mental sharpness and focus he had in his games most uh most important question before we let you go here Corey: was he as good a poker player as everybody makes him out to be i tend to stay away from the card table for that very reason <laughs> uh, i'm not a very good poker player so i didn't want to just get rinsed at the table every night um but the guys who play with him said he knows what he's doing and obviously won all those tournaments or entered those tournaments with real poker players so from what I'm told, he is as good as advertised because I never experienced it myself. I didn't want to lose all my money. Well, it was that in fantasy football, right? Yeah, I still play in a league with him in fantasy, so he is he is, <laughs> he is pretty shrewd in fantasy. But uh, you know, I think we're I think we're both in the playoffs this year, so I don't think I'm playing in first round. But yeah, we we still talk fantasy, and I sometimes pick his brain even on that too. I'm like, hey, would you draft this guy here? Or what would you do about this trade? And he'll sort of give me some advice because he's got like nine or ten teams going, so he's he's always multitasking. That's awesome. Uh, Corey, it's been great catching up. Thanks for your time and your insights today. You got it, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. There is Corey Schneider joining us uh, here on Canuck Central as we get ready for Roberto Luongo's induction into the Ring of Honor later this week. That save was a pretty good save. Memorable save, Sat. Yeah, huge save. The one on Patrick uh, on Patrick Sharp in Game Six, and uh, you know, any mentioned like if if that goes in, <laughs> like you we were probably having a very very different conversation. And I was kidding with you, and I was saying, in hindsight, at the moment, everybody was holding their collective breath when Jonathan Taves made that pass cross seam low to high from behind the goal line yeah, yeah. Uh, to Patrick Sharp. Ken BX is laying on the ice trying to block the pass, gets through <laughs> anyways. You see Mason Raymond and just, they're all like, you know, and Grind Kessler staring at Patrick Sharp wide-eyed going, oh my God, yeah, is this yeah. going to go in? In the moment, everybody's like super relieved he made the save. But considering what happened in Game 7 of the Cup Final and considering what happened the years after they lost the Stanley Cup Final, would it have almost been better had they lost in Game 7 against Chicago, and maybe they would have taken a completely different path. I know this might be galaxy-braining it a little bit, but like if they lose to Chicago after being up 3 nothing in that series, yeah, 
they're probably making some changes. Like the coach gets changed, right? They probably they're move one or two. They're blowing things up. Right. Like There's the, like serious what-if revisionist history potential if that happens. Right. Now, with that, I mean, it would have created a completely different reality. And considering you didn't, you didn't win the Stanley Cup, now that I think about it, I can't help to wonder what that reality would have looked like. Yeah. I mean, they still, uh, the, <laughs> the scars of losing to the Boston Bruins did... Uh, alter the years ahead after that great 2011 season yeah still. exactly well, i mean like i think this organization in many ways was chasing goats of 2011 yes. for a long time the boston model right that yes. is what something they were chasing the type, type of team they wanted to be i mean if they don't lose to boston are they looking to uh, go after the boston model are they hiring jim benning from the boston bruins for instance yeah. like are all those things happening? Oh when my you're, God. Remember meat and potatoes, he came in, they brought Linden yeah. in, they wanted to change about how to play and what to be. They went from being this high-flying, skilled hockey team that I thought played with a lot of grit still, but nonetheless, I mean, they, they started chasing being this gritty, tough hockey team. And ironically, I think they may finally have the regime that wants to put that type of team together. Yeah. It's only they want been a little like, you know, sandpaper around these parts now. Only ten years later. But, only ten years. You know, later. <laughs> but it's it's just one of those things. Uh, a couple of great texts texts uh, that came in. Um, we missed this one when Corey was on, but uh, ask Corey how he feels that his trade tree continues. <laughs> he is the reason Canucks have Ronick, Zadorov, and Ratu. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, hey, and... Well, Schneider for Horvat, that was the trade. Yeah, and everything else has grown from there, right? Yeah. And, you know, Hronik and Ratu, of course, part of it, and even Zadorov. Yeah. Because Bavillier was a part of the trade. So you're seeing the trade tree grow. Now, it doesn't mean every piece was 100%, you know, the same or whatever, because, you know, the Canucks added pieces here and there. But nonetheless, it's the trade that has continued to give and looks to be giving fruitfully. And if Atu Ratu can actually be a player... Well, then maybe this trade tree will continue for a very long time. Uh, you would uh, hope. And he is uh, one of the up-and-coming <laughs> players that uh, Jim Rutherford had mentioned earlier today in his little media tour. Yep. Uh, a couple more here. This one says from Rager. We were talking about if the Canucks actually lose to Chicago in Game 7. That's yep. why I thought it was his single best save. It was a great save. The Ryan, the Sm save he made on Ryan Smith, Game 6 against the LA Kings, where he you know, he windmills yeah, it, he's laying yeah, on his yeah, back, yeah, and he makes yeah. a glove save. I think the Canucks were down a goal at that point. They, go, they, co they, go, they come back to win that hockey game, win the series, right? But that was a huge save in the playoffs. But uh, this one here says if, if Luongo doesn't make that save, they lose from Rager. There's a possibility they blow that team up and end up with McDavid. I mean, I don't know how likely that is. Is uh, it a possibility? I think we, we know that uh, rebuilding isn't really uh, part of the mantra of the Vancouver Canucks. So no. I, I don't know if blowing it up was ever really on the cards. But, hey, but but I do think it would would have been one of the very small possibilities. Like yes. It would have been one of the many possibilities, albeit small. And Tyler <laughs> says, are you saying that Luongo is to blame for his recapture and Jim Benning putting this team into a tailspin for eight years? Hashtag jokes per 60. <laughs> I guess it's possible. Yeah, made a save, and that's why. Yeah, <laughs> Luongo, like his first ever playoff game, is still one of the most memorable things he's oh. ever done in his career. Because he played on all those Florida teams that were so bad. He was basically the Michelin Man, yeah. made the most saves in the league every single year. But it didn't matter because that those Panthers teams were just trash in front of him. Then he shows up, he gets to Vancouver, his first playoff game. He's got to make 72 saves to get the win. <laughs> and, and quadruple overtime <laughs> hockey game. And the, and the hilarious part about that game, too, was like both goalies shut it down. But it was like a 4-4 game, Yeah, I think, heading into, or 5-5. It was like 4-4, 5-5 or something, heading into overtime. Yeah. So neither goalie was like 
all that sharp. And then yeah. you get to overtime and nobody lets anything in. <laughs> it's like goes four overtimes. Yeah, everybody's just like four four playoff game. That's a pretty high scoring playoff game. Then just shut it down. We're going we're going all night, fellas. Yeah. Well, and he ended up making was seventy two saves or whatever. Seventy two saves. At the time was an NHL record for saves in a postseason game. Yeah. Recently uh was uh was bested, but yeah. uh, at the time, seventy two saves. Did hold the record. Uh, lots of memories to come through the week on Roberto Luongo as we get closer to the Canucks and Tampa Bay. Well, actually, Florida Panthers, the Tampa Bay Lightning are in town tonight. The pre-pregame show is next on Canucks Central.